morning here in the house of God. Hey, this Sunday uh, is actually one of uh, my favorite Sundays of all time because on this Sunday we are welcoming new members here to the Pursuit Northwest and excited to do that. In fact, not only are we welcoming members in person, but we have 19 different people who have signed up for membership on our online campus from around the nation. And so we got folks joining us from the Midwest, from the East Coast, even some from overseas. And we're glad to have them uh, a part of what God is doing here uh, in this city. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to invite you forward. If you're a new member, you filled out our membership online. We've got a small gift for you. We want to pray for you today. You know, we believe that membership is spiritually significant. It don't mean that you get into heaven any earlier than somebody else. It doesn't mean that you have more jewels in your crown when you receive that in heaven. But what it does say is, hey, I'm a part of this thing. I don't just attend, I'm not just renting, I'm an owner. And I'm a part of being a bringer and being a builder and in doing so, partnering with God and with others to bring his kingdom from heaven to earth and see incredible things here in the Northwest. And so if, if you're one of those who have signed up for membership here over the last number of months, we're gonna invite you forward at this time. We wanna honor you and recognize you and uh, hand you a small gift. Why don't you make your way out of your seat? Join me here at the altar. And uh, we'd love to welcome and pray for you uh, this morning. Every one of our new members this morning is getting a puzzle piece with the Pursuit logo on it. And really, it's a, it's a gift, but more than that, it's a prophetic reminder that every member of this house has a unique part to play. And we're not all gifted the same. We don't all have the same personality. We don't all come from the same family of origin or have the same ethnicity or same heritage or even same preferences. But God has saw it fit because he's got a great sense of humor to bring us all together to the same place. And in doing so, we each have a part to play. We each have something significant to contribute. And God, by his spirit, is using all of the ingredients of this house to, I believe, build something incredible and generational here in the Northwest. On Membership Sunday, we ask all of our members to read a statement with us. It's going to be on the screens to your left and to your right. And this is what we call our membership covenant. It's just this is who I am. This is a part of what I've been invited into. And together, this is our common purpose and our common vision. If, if you're being welcomed as a new member today, would you just take that puzzle piece, hold it up real high, and turn to the screen on the left uh, or the right, and let's read this together when I count to three. One, two, three. Today, I formally join myself to the Pursuit Church family for the express purpose of growth, development, community, and service. I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. I don't have to give. I get to give. I don't have to serve, I get to serve. I am not a consumer, I am a contributor. I believe my best days are ahead and I have a part to play in this local church. I will honor the house of God by fighting for unity in this church because this church belongs to Christ. I am committed to a pursuit of the presence of God and his transformative work both in me and through me. I am a bringer, I am a builder, and today I become a member of this house. I commit to these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Now I'm going to read over you a charge, and then we're going to pray for you as a church family. And now I charge you before God and men, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you to keep this command without spot or wrinkle until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And to Jesus, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Come on, church family. Would you extend your hand to those who are here in front? We're going to pray over them, prophesy over them today. Father, we thank you that you have saw it so fit to send to us members in this season to help us in the building of this local church. We say your kingdom will come and your will will be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven. And I declare over those who are gathered here under the sound of my voice that you would stir up the gifts that lay inside each and every one of them, that you would fan it into flame, that you would give them endurance in this season to stand and after they've done everything to stand, continue to stand. We declare that the increase of God is upon them and their household, that what they set their hand forth to do would prosper, that they would operate with the renewed mind of Christ to think correctly about the events of their life, their past, present, and their future. God, now we declare that you would bring them together in the spirit of unity, that together we would set our hand to the plow and not look back, and that God, in this season, your blessing would overtake them, your prospering would overtake them, that they would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And now, God, we would declare over them what the canker worm has eaten, what the enemy has destroyed. God, by his spirit, will repay. And so we declare over you, your best days are not behind you, but ahead of you. We declare over you that God would make a way where there seems to be no way, that he would open a door no man can shut, that he would lead you in the way everlasting, even into eternal life. And we declare over you what Jesus says in John 7, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And we say you will be wellsprings of living water at the pursuit both in this region and in others we declare these things to be true and all god's people said amen amen come on one more time let's welcome our new members awesome you guys can have a seat awesome i love it you know just over the last uh number of months here about 500 folks have joined membership here at the church, and God is doing some incredible things, and you and I get to be a part of it. So thank you for standing with us and believing with us for God's best. You know, today we're making a, a special announcement, really about the future of this church and the partnerships that God has invited us into in this season. Eight years ago, this church started in a barn right off of Highway 9, gathered with a couple young adults, sat on hay bales, literally, and had a worship service. And if you would have asked me eight years ago if we would have grown into this, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But God, by His Spirit, has chosen to be more faithful than us and to give us things that are so much better than we deserve, exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. But God is just setting us up. This is just the first step in a long walk of obedience. And as we've been praying for God to do something in the Northwest, what I feel like the Lord has reminded me of is nothing is too hard for Him. The Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the Northwest, and neither are we. 
And I just feel like if God can do it in the little town of Snohomish, he can do it just about anywhere. And so we're going to show you a video this morning that explains a little bit of the next step in God's faithfulness of this journey, which begun a few years ago in a little barn right here in Snohomish. Why don't you turn your attention to the screens? That video and those graphics are going live right now on our social media sites, and so we're going to encourage you to help us share those and let people know about what's coming up here in the month of February, March, uh, and April. All those dates that were listed are, are Sundays, so we'll be doing evening services monthly in Seattle, and we're just calling the region for the express purpose of seeking the heart of God, and in doing so, see His glory impact people's lives. You know, somebody was kind of being a little critical, a little cynical. They said, well, you know, Pastor, you really think you can change a city just by gathering a couple thousand worshipers on one random night? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's how God works. And in fact, that's what's been missing from the region for too many years. And we owe the region better than we've given them. I don't know about you, but for me, I operate with this conviction that I am indebted to the harvest field meaning that I owe the harvest field an encounter with Jesus. More than just good theology or nice programs or, 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 or safe little church services, no, we actually owe the region revival and awakening. And so we're going to be gathering in Seattle, and frankly, I don't know what it's going to turn into. I have more questions at this point than answers, but I know this, that if we gather and if we call upon the name of the Lord, he will be faithful to do what he has always done from day one, which is show up in power. And a God who shows up in power rattles a region that has been asleep for too long. And so we're going to be hosting some revival nights in Seattle. They're going to be on the first Sunday of the month, February, March, and April at 6 p.m. And we're going to invite you out. Now, I know that some of you drive from that region. Some of you come from down south. Some of you come from up north. Others of you, it's going to be a closer drive. Some of you, it's going to be more of a commitment. But I just feel like God is going to do something so special and so significant that night. And I want you to be a part of it. I really feel like God has asked us as a church and asked me as a pastor to operate with a mandate for the region. 
meaning this. We're not just a church for the neighborhood, but we are reaching the neighborhood. We're not just a church for this city, although we are reaching this city. I believe that God has asked the pursuit to be a church that operates with a regional authority, a mandate to reach people all the way from Bellingham to Vancouver, and we're going to do it. And so just by God's spirit, we're going to gather people. We're going to send out the call, and uh, whoever joins us, joins us. But I really think those three nights are going to be monumental, shifting nights for our entire church, and I'm going to encourage you to be there. God's going to do some incredible things, and we're just excited, really, to be a part of his story. So we declare from Snohomish to Seattle, Jesus is Lord. And so why don't you go ahead and join us, help us share uh, those videos and those graphics, let some folks know, you know, just about every week, Lighty, we get asked uh, by somebody down, down south, they say, man, when is Pursuit going to do something in Seattle? Or, or have you ever considered, like, not just only being in Snohomish, just because it's so hard to get to? We got people driving from Renton. We got people driving from uh, Tacoma. We got folks driving from Federal Way, Burien. We've got a lot of folks driving from Seattle. And so we just kind of felt like, hey, let's, let's create more opportunity. Let's cast our net on the other side and believe that God is going to fill it. And so that's really the heart behind this. We're going to rally the region and we're going to see God do some transformative work. So go ahead and join us. We'd love to partner with you for those events. This morning, I'm going to preach out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Now, I know some of you didn't even know that was a book in the Bible, but it is. Ecclesiastes and in chapter 4. And Ecclesiastes, traditionally, we understand, is written by Solomon, although it probably had multiple authors contributing to it. And it's a book filled with high highs and low lows. And this is why you got to be careful when you read scripture, because if you just cherry pick certain verses, you'll get depressed. You got to read the narrative all the way through. You ever open the book of Psalms, you read something David wrote, the first six verses are just about the worst thing you ever heard. But you're thankful that you kept reading. Because by the time that you get to the end of the story, it ends a lot better than it started. And that's kind of how Ecclesiastes is framed. Solomon is, is waxing eloquently, vanity of vanities, life is meaningless. I've toiled and I've worked and I've built riches and I've amassed relationships and my kingdom is, is, is growing, but, it, but it's all meaningless in the end. But by the time you get to the end of the book, Solomon ends here, but I will remember the God of my youth. And that's why I love the brilliance of scripture, the beauty of what these authors contribute, because you don't just get the high points, you get the low points. You get the entire narrative, the entire story. And you know, friends, that's our story as well. I know it's easy to pretend in church that every day is just another mountaintop faith miracle, but the reality is, is you got highs and lows. And there are mornings you wake up and you go, man, this is meaningless, only to go to bed that night and go, man, I'm so thankful God is better than I deserve. And we see that in Scripture in Ecclesiastes 4, Starting in verse 9, the Bible says this, Two are better than one, watch, because they have a good reward for their labor. Two are better than one. You know, Fred, there's a reason Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. There's a reason Jesus says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them also. There's a reason why Jesus models the importance of spiritual unity and the community of God that gathers in the local church. A crowd doesn't make a church. A worship experience doesn't make a church. 
A good sermon doesn't make a church. A nice program doesn't make a church. Because all of those things you can do without ever being united behind a common purpose. A crowd becomes a church, watch, when a people become assembled. And a people become assembled when mission goes from something we do to something we are. You know that church isn't just where I go on Sunday mornings. No church is a part of who I am. Let me show you. When Jesus in the New Testament tells Peter, I will build my church, the word that he's using in the Greek is ecclesia. It means an assembled people who belong to the Lord. Now watch. In the first century culture, ecclesia referred to a gathering of community elders or elected city officials for the official transaction of regional business. This is the analogy Jesus chooses to get his disciples to understand what he is building. I want you to see church from that perspective this morning. God is gathering his saints for the express purpose of transacting kingdom business and it impacts the region because it binds and it looses. It opens and it closes. It makes ways where there seems to be no way. It establishes new rules and new hierarchy and new order when the saints of God gather with the purpose of glorifying Jesus. No, church is not just your Sunday activity. It's not just what you do to check off a box to feel better about your miserable life. It's not just where you go to check in to see other friends or get connected with a community group. No, those things are all important, but the primary purpose of the church is to glorify Jesus. And when Jesus is glorified, regions shift into obedience. No, you're here today as an elected official, and we have some elected officials who go to the church. We got some mayors and some city council members, but I want you to know whether or not you're ever elected to an office of man, you've been elected to an office of God. You have been seated in heavenly places for the purpose of doing heavenly business, which means this, I am not a victim of the region's narrative as the church. We are gonna rewrite the story of God's faithfulness for the Northwest. Well, I don't know if the church has power. I don't know if we can do those things. You make all these prophetic proclamations. No, because I understand what the ecclesia is. No, we are the elect of God, the elected of God. We are the saints of God who gather in the church, which is the pillar of truth in society. And when we gather, we gather with spiritual legislative authority to rewrite the rules. Now watch. If you belong to the Lord, but don't belong to the church, it doesn't mean you can't get into heaven. It just means you miss out on all the fun here on earth. You know, the word ecclesia and the word ecclesiastes share a similar etymology. They are both referring to a gathering of people who are ready to be instructed so that they can better be prepared to conduct their business. Sometimes people say this to me, I don't need to go to church to go to heaven. That's true. But you don't need a parachute to jump out of a plane either. I just think it helps. Well, the last parachute offended me. The last parachute always wore a hat when he preached. The last parachute was too loud. 
I like what Eugene Peterson says. There's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's people in the church and there's sin in people who are in the church. But there's no other place to be a Christian. I want you to see something, friend. Jesus wasn't impressed with the crowds. In fact, the opposite. He was concerned. Let me prove it to you, Matthew 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless. Watch, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Hear me, friend, the goal isn't a big crowd. It's an assembled people. Because when Christians get assembled, the church becomes unstoppable. I'm not trying to draw a crowd. I'm trying to draw the presence. I'm not trying to draw a crowd. I'm trying to assemble the saints. And when we do those things well, watch, God will bring the crowds. I used to pray prayers like this. God, just send me one person who will win the lotto and then tithe off their winnings. Instead, the Lord sent me you. And if we all do our part, every bill will get paid. Every need will get met. Every mountain will get moved. Every building will get built. Every city will get reached. Why? Because we are all doing our part. The crowd had gathered. The cities and villages were being reached. Teaching, preaching, healing, signs, wonders, miracles were all taking place. But Jesus wept when he saw the crowds. Why? Because they were sheep without a shepherd. You know, God isn't always impressed with what impresses us. Watch the things that impress God. Simple obedience, assembled people, childlike faith. Hear me, friend. Jesus did more with a united 12 than he did with the divided masses. Watch the language Jesus uses. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. That word in the Greek denoted a common field worker, the lowest paid agricultural employee, not a superstar, not a celebrity, but a common person, watch, yielded to an uncommon God. The great D.L. Moody was quoted as saying this, the world has yet to see what God will do with a person fully consecrated to him. And watch how these laborers get into the harvest. They are sent out. That word sent out in the Greek translates to this Greek word, ekbalo. It means this, a violent shaking that causes one to leave the nest. You know, when a bird leaves the nest, it doesn't fly pretty. But before it reaches the ground, it's learned to soar. Which tells me this, God isn't looking for experts. He's looking for folks who are available. If you're a parent, of small children here in this room today, you know exactly what this box represents here on this stage. I don't know if you ever stepped on one of these demonic things in the middle of the night, lost your salvation twice, but we all been there. Hear me, Fred. As long as you remain enamored by the uniqueness of your peace, Instead of the contribution of your part, 
you will miss out, watch, on the blessing of building together. And that's why two are better than one. Because when you become assembled, it gives purpose to the individual pieces. I've never stepped on a tower that's been constructed. I've never stepped on a, a spaceship that my seven-year-old built out of Legos, but I've stepped on parts that have been left in the hallway several times. Hear me, friend. Not only are you not fulfilling your purpose when you're alone, you actually become a stumbling block to other people. And see, sometimes you got to try about 37 different things until the right thing fits. In fact, that's what keeps me engaged even when something that I thought was going to work together doesn't end up working together. Because I know that God's got all the necessary pieces in the box. I just got to figure out how to fit them together. Which tells me this, the miracle is in the house. The ingredients are already here. And I think so often we're asking God to send us stuff he already has. We just haven't assembled the gifts that he's given us. See, you pray for a building, but God sends you a brick. You pray for prosperity, but God sends you a job. You pray for a spouse, but God sends you into a season of development. We're praying for increase, and God sends us opportunities to work on the interior of our own lives. Can I tell you the ingredients for building something great for God in the Northwest are already in this room. What we've got to concentrate on is assembling the parts that God has already sent us. I know we're praying for Seattle, but God's not sending it to us already built together because where's the fun in that? God sent us a box. I know there's a tower in this box. I know there's another campus in this box. I know there's another region in this box. I know all the finances are in this box. I know all the gifting is in that box, but I'm going to put every piece together and try about 37 different times until what it looks like in my mind is constructed in our midst. Oh, the miracles in the house. No, it's here. It's you. It's me. It's us working together. Well, I just want to be a solo artist because I'm really enamored by my piece. But when we assemble the choir, they can hear us from miles away. No, I'm asking you today, friend, it's time to get assembled. It's when God's people become assembled together for the task at hand that a church is formed. You know why God gives us tasks? Because tasks reveal whether unity is just a good idea or actually a functioning reality within your assembly. It's easy to look united when nothing is moving. The real test of unity happens when the task at hand requires people to put their hand to the plow. And God has placed you as members in this assembly for such a time as this. Your gifting, your calling, your resource, your presence, your contribution, heck, even your personality, it becomes fuel for God to use in the building of his kingdom. Now watch what happens in verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him, warning to him, beware to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. I want you to see the forensic language that's being used in this verse. 
There's a qualifier that's used in the second word of verse 10. If they fall, one will lift him up. But woe to him who is alone, for when he falls, no one has to help him up. You ever remember those old commercials? Senior citizen fall over at home. Help! I've fallen and I can't get up. Can I tell you, friend? The danger in your spiritual journey is not when you fall. It's when you fall alone and you don't got nobody else to help you back up. The danger isn't in the mistake you made. The danger isn't even in the sin that you struggle with. The danger isn't the fact that you're going to miss it every once in a while. The danger is not that you're going to make a misstep every once in a while. The danger is if you're spiritually homeless and not assembled in the context of a growing church, when you fall, you don't got any resources around you to help you get back up. Church doesn't mean you're going to have any less crisis in your life. But what it does mean when crisis hits... When that tornado comes out of nowhere, when your world collapses overnight, when your marriage falls apart, when your finances go through the roof, but I mean in the wrong direction, you got somebody around you who loves you enough to pick you up, dust you off, because there's going to be a brighter tomorrow. No, we were built for this. And you know, it's possible to be in a growing church, yet still not be spiritually assembled. Because assembly is not a choice I make for you. Assembly is a choice you make for you. Well, I just wish the pastor would make all my friends for me. I wish pastor would just do my morning devotions for me. I wish pastor would just tithe on my behalf. And sometimes we make it everybody else's responsibility to help us get assembled. And here's what I do as a leader, is I create a greenhouse type environment where you have the best chance to grow. And I encourage you to get rooted in the soil. And I'm going to water it, and I'm going to put some nutrients in it, and I'm going to tend to it like a gardener would tend. But at the end of the day, unless you give God permission through the availability of your heart to do the work of sanctification, you will sit here week after week and still not be assembled no assembly is the choice you make assembly is an attitude that you have assembly is a mindset that you adopt no I'm not just here to be entertained I'm not here just to receive although I will I'm not here just to come in and greet somebody in passing and 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 leave without ever talking to somebody else no I am here on mission on assignment because this church needs something I have and this church has something I need and when people operate with the mindset of assembly, they can't help but be involved in what God is building in this region. In verse 11 and 12, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes says this, Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And watch, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Hey, every friend, either we stand together or we fall apart. What lays ahead will be the greatest challenge we've ever faced as a church. But may it be true of us that we are not easily broken. And if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? For me and my house, we're going to stay and fight. I believe that Snohomish in a lot of ways, was our proverbial lion and bear. It's what trained us for that which is coming. 
God has set us up all along for success. God has been developing in you a contagious faith and a contagious boldness to grab the region and not let go until God responds with fire. This is our opportunity. <laughs> and it's what we owe the region. Not safe spirituality, not nice little church services, but bold, audacious faith that says revival or we die. Unity or we die. Assembly or we die. People who ask the question, where is the God of Elijah? The one who answers by fire. Where is the God that we've heard about? Where is the God of the Jesus people movement? Where is the God of Azusa? Where is the God of the latter rain? Where is the God of the stories that we've heard? Where is that God today? I'm here to tell you, he's in our midst. And he's inviting us because he's opened a door that no man can close. And by his spirit, we're going to walk through it. And we're going to inherit fields that we didn't plant. And we're going to move into houses that we didn't build. Because the God of Elijah is showing up and he's showing off. Come on, would you stand all across this room? Come on, let me pray for you.